Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of the E3 Podcast, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This season, we're going to talk about building science, female entrepreneurship, and the built environment. Prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is February. Well, today's the last day of February, and I wanted to talk about teaching, training, some of the stuff that we did here in February, and I couldn't ask for a better person to join me than Ben Bogie. He was in charge of the International Builders Show Building Zone. Um, most of you recently saw us at uh, IBS or heard that we were going to be down there. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about that and, you know, just some of the other things we have going on here in 2022. So Ben, welcome. Tell us who you are and what you've been up to. Thanks, Emily. Uh, so I'm Ben Bogie. I'm currently a project manager in Connecticut and uh, Eastern New York State, Hudson Valley. Um, I'm a second or third generation high performance builder, depending on how you want to look at it. And um I have been increasingly finding myself in positions where I am speaking, writing, teaching, and coordinating content for the industry over the past couple of years. Yeah. So do you think that's just us and the way that we are, that we somehow get ourselves roped into these things? I haven't quite figured it out yet, but I know part of my whole thing is I want to share everything I've learned with everybody else. And so then I, I want to learn things from everybody else. And so um, I, I think I think it's exactly that. I think it's the fact that I have uh, no other interesting hobbies. So I obsess over building. Um, and also, I honestly think it's the uh, the fact that I like talking about it and I'm passionate about the work I do in the industry that we're involved in. And I enjoy sharing that with people. I think that's why we find ourselves in these positions. I like to learn new things too. I think every time I teach or train or go to any of these events, I learn something I didn't know and I expand my horizon. And, you know, I think I always knew I was going to be a learner in this environment, you know, and that means different things to different people. Sometimes that's, um, you know, hands-on. I, I actually had the privilege to do a career fair on Friday, um, for an architecture school in Vermont. And, you know, one of the, one of the lovely women that interviewed with me, um, had said, you know, I'm a hands-on learner. So like, what do you recommend to me? And I'm like, go get a job with a builder for the summer. Like this is the best advice I can give you. Um, and, that brought me up to one thing that I would really love to push on here. People often ask me like, you know, what's the best thing to do for training or which training should I take first or what should I do? Um, I was privileged enough to join you in the building zone this year. And I think it's undervalued for a lot of people, builders and specifically for architects to not go to a show like the International Builders Show thinking like, oh, that's just builder stuff. That's just for um you know, that's just for products and what's new coming out in the industry. But I could have sat all day in the building zone and just listened to and learned from, you know, all the amazing people that you guys had on stage. So how did you determine your program and what you were going to teach? Uh, so thank you, first of all. Uh, um, the, we were given some directives by NAHB when we first started planning of kind of some broad guidelines of things they'd like us to discuss. Uh, one of them was systems, like building systems and systems options. And uh, the other one is um, different avenues that we can look at tackling um, supply chain shortages and labor shortages. Um, so I use that kind of as my, my directive to look at how we would do things. And that's why we saw 
like we did four sessions on different weather resistive barrier options because I was trying to show all of these as systems because that tick two boxes for me. One, we're showing how a system like a mechanically attached functions or an integral water and air barrier panel functions or a fluid applied. So we looked at those from systems, discrete systems. And then we also looked at them under the guise of that gave people options. So if you're in a situation where you're facing material shortages, um, for whatever product it is that you're trying to acquire, you have an understanding of these different systems so that you can pick and choose um, based on what's available or maybe what your uh, project's directives or um, program is for what you're trying to achieve with it. So that was one example of what we did. Um, hopefully that answers your question a little bit. So that was the, the, the broad stepping stones that we started putting the content together with. Yeah. Well, and I think that was one of the things that was really valuable and, and maybe something that those of us in the building science world think of, you know, maybe even just more in general than before now, right, where we have a supply chain issue. So you really have to be a little bit more aware of like how, what fits into this system, what product is available if I can't get the one that I had before. But I know that prior to um, you know, prior to us doing the BS and beer show together, um, we used to do local meetup groups. Right. And that was kind of the, the, how all that stuff got started. And I remember Mike putting together a WRB session. Gosh, it was what, 2019, 2018, maybe. And, you know, we showed up and there were several contractors, you know, there's beer. So people show up. Right. So there were several contractors in, you know, in the audience and they're like, well, you know, what, what should I use? What, you know, what do I ask for when I go into, you know, into the lumber yard? And it's like, well, it depends. Right. And so what I loved about what you put together on stage for that is, is you kind of gave them the reasons why it depends, right? Like you're doing this and this is what you have. Right. And those are some of the things that I think um, are valuable also for architects too, is we also watched you put them on and get messy and, you know, have things that are super sticky or, you know, when you and Travis were stretching the tape, you know, across it, showing how, you know, demonstration, how the products actually work. You know, it's not just a sales rep coming in for a lunch and learn saying, here we have these things, you know, physically watching you. And this is probably the best environment you could work in, right? Like it was nice. wasn't raining. It wasn't too dusty. In control. You know? <laughs> it was near a Hollywood environment. But you weren't on uh, a ladder. You weren't on staging. You know, you weren't. You, you were working with something that was square. Um, and so, it seeing that and seeing like, oh yeah, some of these are super sticky. Or being able to ask questions when people would come up to you afterwards and be like, well, okay, in our market we can only get this. Can I use this instead? So, so, so I get the the question all the time, whenever I do any of this stuff and just in my day-to-day -day life, people asking, what's the best X? What's the best Y? Uh, and, and like, this goes back to, you know, Steve Basic says this all the time. And I, I, I firmly believe this. The thing that is best is the one that you can install well. 
So I don't care what the manufacturer is. I don't care what the product class is, is you are using whatever you think is going to do the job well with your crew and your expertise and your available talent materials, so on and so forth. So I think people get too hung up on, you know, best materials, best system, best manufacturers. And uh, you touched on something that's a root of what I always try and do with any of the teaching or content I put together is I want people to understand the core principles of what we're asking these systems to do, because that goes back to, again, I am, you know, I have brands that I use preferentially because I have experience with them, but if you understand the core strengths or the core directives of whatever that system is you're trying to use to accomplish X, Y, and Z on your building, then you'll be able to inform your work better regardless of what the product is. So it's, it's you know, and that's the what we do in building sciences. We're trying to understand the why, the why, the why is this working this way? Um, and once you start to grasp those things, you get to look at uh, product classes uh, kind of more holistically across the marketplace. And you realize that you can make ones that you thought before might've been lesser quality. You can make them perform very well because you understand uh, the innate function of what you're trying to achieve with them. Instead yeah. of just like learning the steps of the process, like you staple the thing to the wall, you cut the exit, the window, you tape the corners. Instead of just doing the rote memorization of your steps, you start to understand the principles of it. And that's what I'm always trying to convey to people. Right. And I think, um, unfortunately, too many people hear like building science or some of the other buzzwords. And then they think, oh, that's too complicated. But it doesn't it doesn't have to be complicated. We just have to know what the expectation is. And you, Steve Basic also said um, on a podcast that we were uh, on together that, you know, there's no such thing as a bad product. There's often just bad installations. It's either installed in the wrong place or installed incorrectly. You know, there's lots of things that can be great materials. And I mean, there might be some bad materials that maybe we should phase out, stop using as we start talking about carbon and climate change. And that's like another conversation, which we can have, or just, but or, or just products that are too innately difficult because of their shortcomings to be installed repeatedly. Well, you know, I, I, right. I, I get Steve's point there, but I think there's some bad products that we can get yeah, rid of. I think there are some bad products. But that's, <laughs> that sentiment is totally true. It's like, we don't need to get hung up on, on like which manufacturer has the best one or which European tape is better than this tape or whatever. It's whatever you can install well. That's uh, really the core that we need to be after. Well, and I think also too, what's, a, what's available in your market, right? So we often forget to have that conversation is, um, you know, sometimes we get smacked on the hand a little bit for talking about things that are really common in New England. Well, you know what? They're really common for us and we do them a lot and we do them well a lot, you know, because we're used to that and we, we know how to do that. But you can go to other parts of the country and it's like, man, we wouldn't use wood siding here because it would just turn to dust in, you know, a matter oh of time. So, so common detail, here you go. Here's a case in point. So common detail for us is we put a piece of clabbered beveled siding underneath our windows to create some pitch to the sill. You go outside of New England and you go to any lumber yard and you try and find a piece of beveled siding. And I know this because I've taught in multiple states where I've tried to find a piece of beveled siding. They look at you cross-eyed. It doesn't exist. Here, we can go into any Home Depot and pick up a piece of clabbered beveled siding. And there you go. There's our window pitch. So it forces you to realize how segmented we are uh, as far as what's available. And that's why understanding those core principles and not the products or not the specific details is really important because then you can apply that to whatever you have at hand. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, we're working on a project somewhere that actually has wildfire risk, which is not something that we commonly have here in 
Maine. And so I was like, okay, wait, we got to think about this totally different. We either have to provide some kind of screening or whatever, if we're going to do venting or we need to do non-vented, which we're not spray foam people. We're trying to get out of the foam market. We're like, okay, wait, hold on, take a step back. Let's look at this. Let's talk about it. What are we trying to get it to do? What conditions do we have in this area? And so for me, I find that exciting and fun. And it's a new learning experience. It's a new opportunity to think about how the science works with it. But I get that the industry doesn't want it to be this hard, right? They want to be able to understand that. And so I think having those principles and ideas down so that you can quickly evaluate what's the, you know, what's the best solution here? What's the next best thing is, um, you know, it's really important. And, you know, we can talk building science all we want, but the code is getting better and everybody's going to have to do this. And even if you disregarded the code, if you use any products that are currently available on the market, you just already have some of these problems. You know, when we went from building the types of houses that we built in the 1800s that just dried out, never had moisture issues to just simply using plywood, things got tighter. Right. And I mean, and that, that, I mean, I guess in itself was building science, right? They started to discover skip boards maybe weren't such a great thing. Like maybe, maybe this isn't. And then they started putting rosin paper over them to keep the drafts out. And then they went to, you know, it has always evolved. Yeah. And then we realized that it kept the water out and the drafts out and yeah. Yeah. And so building science has always been a thing. We just never called it building science before. And everybody adapted to, okay, we've got this. Now we've got this. You know, and so maybe using the, some of those keywords or buzzwords is what's kind of keeping people from just latching on to some simple ideas of what is it doing? How do we expect it to perform? How long is that supposed to last? How do I get to it? if it has a shorter lifespan than something else, right? Because it's making Mike Gerton brought something up a while ago that he thinks we should be installing all flashings with an integral counter flashing so that they're serviceable later in life. And, and that's totally true. Uh, I lost my train of thought there. Sorry. I got hung up on thinking about having to install counter flashings. Right. You projects. just get thinking about it. And you're like, Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. But it, it's totally true. So uh, something that we take for granted is, is that we're asking ourselves and our clients are asking us and the marketplace is asking us to build buildings that are far more, far more complicated and far more advanced than they have ever been in any time in history. The, you know, I, I say this when I started in the late nineties and, you know, I grew up in this industry. So I remember, you know, seeing the work that was being done when I was a kid, it was the same thing from house to house. It was a two by four wall, 16 inches on center plywood, plywood subfloor, sawn lumber framing. It was standard across the board. You could take a carpenter from anywhere in the country and they would know how to build it. Cause it's what everybody was building. Now we have, Oh my God, you and I showed 10 different wall assemblies, 10 different wall assemblies that we can pick and choose from. Yeah, you know, and that's the, not even the multitude of surface. the surface, the multitude of materials and project directives and climates and microclimates and uh, architectural designs and aesthetics that we're catering to nowadays is uh, pretty bewildering. And to, you know, it, it, a builder's job now is no longer just to understand how to read the blueprints and nail the boards together. It's information shepherding. My day is spent 
herding information back and forth from subs to architects to clients to manufacturers back and forth all day long because we do we have so much integrated that has to play nicely with each other in order to have a successful project that it's it's daunting yeah i think that's part of what is frustrating to people so they're just well i'm just going to do what i already know but unfortunately what we already know especially right now in today's market isn't good enough because what you already know might not be available right you have no idea what it's going to cost and it might not be available tomorrow when you go into wherever your supply house is to get whatever this thing is and that's for a multitude of different also i'm probably going to you know upset some people with this but why do you want to do the same thing every day like that's boring, boring. like come on <laughs> shake it up a little bit and i think that's why i've ended up in this position is, is i can't stand to build the same thing twice i always want to try and push and it's not just to do something that's novel is i just always want to see if there's a better option for my clients and for for my own process you know maybe that new product is better maybe it's not but i'm going to try and i'm going to find out and if it's not i'm not going to use it again and if it is i'm going to keep using it and i'm going to make my life that much easier and i'm going to make the product that i'm delivering to my clients that much better so you know, I think doing the same old, same old is just, you know, it's lazy. Like, and I don't mean this to put people down because I understand there's sections of the markets where you really have to fine tune your assemblies to be able to make your profit margins work. I totally understand that, but keep trying to push outside of the box. Keep trying to do something a little bit better. Well, and I think that's how I feel about some of the rating systems too, right? Like we often talk about living building challenge and some of the stuff that they do on their projects just would not be feasible for everyday builders. And everyone's like, Mm -hmm. oh, we've got to drive down costs and we've got to do all that. Well, that's not the purpose of living building challenge. The purpose of living building challenge is to explore what's in our products, to think about different ways, to really have an impact so that they change the market, right? So there's people like yourself who are like, is there a better way? And then the best part about it is then you just share it. You go, I tried this. I thought it was going to be better. It was not better. And here is why, you know, and you know, you can follow people like Randy Williams on Instagram who decided to put every piece of tape that's available. Okay. Probably not every piece of tape, but he put, <laughs> he had know, a lot of them. He yeah. had a lot of them and he put them all on a board and he's, you know, out in, I don't know when I, I complained like, oh man, it snowed today and we got five inches. And he's like, oh, it snowed today and it's negative 15 degrees. And I don't feel, <laughs> I'm like, you win. Um, but so, you know, whenever I feel it- cold, I just look at something that Randy's doing. It's like negative 27. I'm like, oh God, this 23 degrees today is balmy. Right. Uh, exactly. And so, you know, he's taking those tapes and he's putting it on something. He's putting it outside. He's like, what's going to happen? What, like, how are these tapes going to work? And so, you can find the people in the field and, and Peter, maybe Peter started it with his wing nut testing, mm-hmm. but you, you yeah. can find the people in the field who are sharing, like we did this, or this was a better way, or you can see that they've shared something and reach out and they'll say, Hey, yeah, you know, we came up with this system. You know, I love when they show, Oh, this is how I bent a piece of flashing, or this is how I did, you know, and you're like, Oh, I've been struggling with this for you know how long and oh that's so simple and that that's the best part programs like living building challenge and passive house and even lead and usgbc and all that stuff i I don't expect everybody to adhere to those what those are is they're bellwethers that are going to push the industry forward and that's exactly what they do and i can relate this firsthand because when i did my first exterior insulation uh 
on a, on a new construction project and it was a retrofit as a substantial addition and remodel of a project I did. This was back in 2010. First time I ever did continuous exterior insulation. People looked at me like I was crazy. Local builders, code enforcement officials, everybody, you're insane. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Now, now it's in the code. Like this is part of the IRC now after 2018, that continuous insulation is in the code. So it just shows that uh, the code and the industry is paying attention to these things. They're moving forward. Look at what's come out of COVID right now. And I know we keep beating this one to death, but ventilation, we have common people talking about ventilation rates, you know, in schools and their houses and understanding that the, the health of ourselves and our friends and our family uh, has a, a big uh, correlation to the amount of air and the amount of filtration that's inside of our buildings. You know, years ago, before COVID, nobody talked about this except for extreme nerds that were sitting in these weird little get-togethers like Nessie and, you know, IBS and stuff like that. We'd get together and we'd talk about ventilation rates and discuss them. Now it's everywhere. This is huge. It's a huge step forward for our industry. And these are all things that are coming out of the high-performance world and the directives of these programs that are pushing this conversation forward. Not everybody has to build a passive house. Sure, I'd love everybody to be passive house. That would be great, but that's unrealistic. You know, we need these programs, like you said, with Living Building Challenge to push the narrative forward, to push the research forward. And, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the pushback that people give about these programs and about some of the work that I do is, is like you're doing work for the rich. And that's true because they're the ones that have the capital to afford this work. And a lot of them know that they are spending more to engage in work that can be to some degree experimental. I have current clients that know that and they trust in us to make those decisions to push the, the bar forward, the benchmark forward with the work we're trying to execute for them so that the industry at large can see our strengths and our failures and, and we can learn from that as a whole. You know, Overall, they know they're gonna get a good product because they trust in our ability to decide what's right for their project, but it's going to push the whole market forward. So yeah, wow. we, we, we have to, we have to play Robin Hood a little bit sometimes and, you know, not trying to glorify my position like I'm Robin Hood, but that's really the matter of the economics of the situation. Well, I mean, when you really think about it, that's how every industry works, right? There's always somebody that has to fund the capital to do the research. Ferrari to has find to build out. the supercars so they can figure out how to make the engines better. In exactly. Our the, yeah. the very first Tesla that came out was not affordable. Now, granted, it's not still affordable for a lot of people. But they did but that. That was, Tesla's, that was Tesla's business model. They understood right. that. They knew that they had to make a super elite product in order to generate the capital to fund the testing and the production of a more affordable product. So. Right. Exactly. And so that's how it works in every industry. I mean, I look at it in 2015, when we built the first house in our little Cumberland subdivision, we had, I think they were two thirties, the panels were 230 watts. You know, I just talked to my solar installer who's going to do a project for me and, and now he's getting four Oh fives, right? Like it's, it pushed the industry 10 years ago. We didn't really talk about solar because it just wasn't affordable. It wasn't something that even, mm -hmm. you know, the, the super, uh, elite were, were really doing, it just wasn't affordable. And then people started to say, you know what, we want this, we want this, we want this. And it's coming down and down and down in cost because they've developed some of that technology. They've figured out how mm -hmm. to 
make it better, make it more affordable, and then brought that and to the market. And we put tax incentives and grants in place for research and so on and so forth. And, you know, people will fight back and be like, oh, the only reason it's affordable is grants and, you know, funding and tax incentives. The only reason oil is affordable is because of tax incentives and grants and you know, exactly funding that happens. So and if you want to really start getting here. into the whole climate change and the thing, the things that are affordable and all that stuff is we, we have to start funding stuff that is going to help us to have, you know, because I, uh, I love Martin. He's, he's phenomenal. And he comes on BS and beer and says, you should go nowhere. You should do nothing. You should build nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what we should do. Are we going to do that? Absolutely not. No. We are not going to do that. And so the rest of us spend a lot of our time trying to figure out how can we do it better? What can we do better? You know, and make the mistakes. I mean, sure. They made a lot of mistakes in the seventies when they didn't think through all of the science or all of the ideas mm-hmm. behind it. And they had sick building sick syndrome. House syndrome. Mm-hmm. They, they built these weird trauma things that were in front of everybody's windows, not realizing that we crave the communication with the outdoor environment and the sunlight and like that beautiful South facing sunlight. We want to have inside of our houses. We don't want that blocked by some mass wall, even though functionally it probably worked pretty well. Was it my favorite out? My favorite out of that era were envelope houses where it was like a house inside of a house, which was all great in theory, except that it didn't actually work. And then heaven forbid you get a fire inside of it and it just turns into a like a furnace of a, a yeah. So, I, yeah, yeah we, was... we made a lot of mistakes to figure out where we are. And I'm sure. uh, I'm fortunate that I was brought up with a lot of these things because, you know, my dad started doing this stuff in the late 70s. So uh, I take for granted to some degree that this stuff was all part of my zeitgeist growing up, like learning about these. You know, dad worked on one of those envelope houses when I was a kid until it burnt to the ground. So it's like I learned about that when I was younger because, you know, in the fire department, it took the fire department seven minutes to get to that house. And the whole thing was laying in the basement by the time they got there, the entire thing. Like houses don't normally burn that quick. So we had to make those mistakes to figure out where we are now. And and by no means are we, you know, is our industry perfect. But, you know, Joe said it when we recorded BS and Beer at IBS. He says people don't appreciate, appreciate how fantastically well we are building houses now. And it's absolutely true. Um, in well, that same vein, you, yeah, go I was ahead. Say, the, the better that we build them, the more intolerant we as a, a species become, right? Like now we talk about it in comfort levels. It's like, we're only comfortable between five and eight degrees. Like what did they do in the 1800s, right? When they lived in these big drafty old farmhouses, they, they were dry, they were whatever. They were fine because they were, they were used to it. I mean, even I grew up in a house that was built before the civil war and it leaked like a sieve before we did, you know, massive renovation for, for them. And my dad's response was, we'll just put on another sweater, right? Because he wasn't turning up the heating system because he knew it was just blowing out. The walls. There's scientific research to show. And like, this isn't a, to argue against having air conditioning buildings, but there's scientific research research to show that uh, almost twice as many people started dying in heat waves after the invention or the commonplace execution of air conditioning than previously. It's because you, you uh, biologically get used to having your body cool and your body doesn't know how to maintain its temperature and your behaviors don't know how to maintain your temperatures anymore. So people started dying much faster whenever it would get hot out than they did before air conditioning. So yeah, they always joke about Mainers and be like 30 degrees out and be like, yeah, it's warm, shorts weather. Let's go. 
<laughs> and like, I always thought that was crazy until I lived here for long enough that I was just like, Oh, 30 degrees. That's not jacket weather. Like, I know that's, that's balmy. Yeah. You, you get nice. Yeah, th- those mornings when it was 30, God, I'd be happy to be outside framing beats negative 19. Right. So, so we do, we acclimate to those things and we're building better houses and we're heating them better and we're more comfortable. Right. And so now we can complain about like, oh, the air that's blowing across this area or, oh, these, these windows, you know, people will ask me, well, how do you sell your, your clients on high performance things? And I'm like, we just talk about the things they actually care about. You want to sit next to that window. You don't want to feel cold. It's gotta be a triple pane window needs to be comfortable. You know, your you kid's want not to... going to develop asthma because of the dust and dander and pollen and everything that's in your airstream. You know, grandma or your, your mother-in-law, when she comes to live with you is going to have a much better end of life in her golden years because she's comfortable and healthy in the house and she's not getting chills. You know, yeah, The building's like... going to last longer and require less maintenance. Yeah, exactly. We're going to build durable systems in this because, you know, aside from there just being a ton of products on the market, we've thought about how these products go together and what they're supposed to do here, you know? And so that's how we, I don't even want to say sell them on that. We educate our clients on why we think building a certain way is the the way that we should do it. And, you know, oftentimes that's an unpopular opinion, but if you look at, uh, Matt Bloomquist and his kids. I don't know if anybody saw his post on Instagram recently, but his high school students built a house where there was still snow on the roof. The only one in the entire neighborhood, high school kids, right? It is absolutely something that everybody can learn how to do, how it can be. It doesn't have to be complicated. And people say that to me all the time. Well, you're going to be complicated. No, just like there were 10 wall systems that we talked through at IBS, I usually start with the builder. One, your builder should get paid to be part of the design process. I feel very strongly about that. They shouldn't be putting that time in for free, but two, they bring a lot of value to the table. And that's why we don't do bid work is you bring the contractor in and you say, what do you guys do normally? Then I'm asking you to change maybe five things, right? Maybe you're, and maybe it's not even five things. Maybe it's one new thing. Like you said, you want to do something new on every project. Maybe it's one new thing on this project. And we're working together as this amazing team, because we all bring something to the table that puts it together that says, yeah, this is, this is great. And this is how we do it because we, we rely on the skills of things that you've perfected over time, right? Like everything doesn't have to be different on every build. It goes right back to what I was saying is it's, it's, you can play to the strengths of whatever that contractor can install. Well, yeah, you know, that you might be specifying some product or assembly or something that he's not really comfortable with, but if you bring them in and you sit down at the table together, then he might say, well, you know, I think this will do just the same thing. And I know how to work with this really well. So let's use that. And it's just having that, that dialogue. Um, yeah. Especially, you know, one of the other things that you said, we were talking about ventilation a lot more. I think people are having a lot more realization because not only do we spend 90% of our time indoors in the last two years, we spent 90% of our time in the same room feels like, you know, the same room inside your house, not going anywhere, you know, and you have noticed things about that room, you know, the get tired after lunch, the CO2, you know, whatever, or, you know, for us, we had a client that came to us that said, look, I have chemical sensitivities. What can you do? Now we lucked out because their builder doesn't use plywood. They use boards, board sheathing, board flooring on everything. And so we eliminated glue as a possible source for a client simply because their builder just already did that. That was how it was, right? 
And so, you know, people want to talk about, oh, you know, chemical sensitivities. Well, if you don't have somebody that works with that all the time, it might take them longer. It might be harder. You find somebody that does. We have to, all of the projects that we execute as a company go for uh, EPA Indoor Air Quality Plus on all of our projects. And what that means is, is from the beginning of the project, we're providing the auditor, the uh, the information of what products we're including in the home so that they can go through them and check them for VOCs and essentially red list items, not quite as stringently as you do with Living Building Challenge, but we have to, we jump through all of those hurdles just as the de facto on our project. So, and it's really not difficult. It's, there's, <laughs> honestly, it's kind of surprising how many, how few products we get pushback on, but it's just being conscientious of that and just taking that look or, or trying to engage in a program like that so that you can educate yourself about what some of those areas are uh, in your process so that maybe you can look at changing them. Um, well, and I don't know, what are, where do you go for education, Emily? Where, where are you learning from? Well, I mean, for, for me, I just start digging, but it goes back to exactly what we were talking about on the opposite uh, spectrum, which is what do we want this product to do? Well, if you start thinking about what you want this product to do, especially on indoor environments, it starts to trigger some things like, oh, we want this product to resist mold and mildew. Well, what's in it that resists mold and mildew, right? Or we want this. Why do we, why do we have mold and mildew in the first place? Exactly. And so when we start thinking about, you know, we we want this to resist stains. Well, what's in stain guard, right? Like what's on our furniture, what's in our products. And so just asking those questions, I think it's 50, 50% 50% of it. Knowing to ask the question means that you've thought about it and you're like, okay, wait, where did this come from? What does it have in it? What do I, what is my expectation? And what am I trying to get it to do that I can't handle in some other way, you know? And so where do I go for, for gosh, oh man, that could go down a long, long list Avenue one, you can get on living building challenge. And they do often share red list materials. Um, I, well, I hope that someday it's going to be very regional specific where you can look at it because those, those projects aren't always translated back to exactly, you know, even on our chemical resistant house, getting wiring that doesn't have plastic on it is cost. Well, I mean, I think it's possible, but it's so, it would be so cost prohibitive that like it just, that wasn't worth it. You know, it's encapsulated in our double stud wall system with a lot of other things. It had very little impact. We tested it with the client, you know, and so sometimes that's a very small percentage of the actual physical makeup of the project. Exactly. And so sometimes our information is here's a bag of trash. Do any of these things bother you? (laughs) Which is not the most scientific method, but sometimes if you don't have the budget to do a lot more scientific methods is, um, you know, one, one of the takeaways that, that, um, being on stage, which was such an honor and pleasure with Joe Seabrick was we need to use our intuition, right? We can't just rely on all the other professional stuff. judgment, professional yeah. and judgment. So I start with, and what I explain to anyone that I ever teach anything to is build your network of people know where to go for the answer because you're never going to know everything that you need to know. It's just impossible. That's Dan Dan Colbert's thing is, you know, I had the good fortune or misfortune, depending on how you want to look at it, (laughs) of working with Dan for a few years. 
Uh, he's one of my favorite humans on the planet. But uh, he will openly say that people look at him like he's some sort of building science expert or like some repository of knowledge. And Dan will freely admit that he's not. But what he is very good at is knowing who in the room to ask the question to. Right. And that's the truth of a lot of us here that, you know, get this reputation of being a repository of knowledge. It's really just that over the years we've cultivated and, and listened to and remembered people that know what they're talking about. And you refer back to them and you tap on those people or those manufacturers or those industry experts or those trade partners, subcontractors, whoever it is. And you just ask them, that's how we gain this knowledge. You know, Christine Williamson had a great comment that stuck with me a year or so ago that she posted that, you know, uh, People think that, you know, us building scientists or whatever uh, are just like these like brilliant people or something like we have this innate given ability to understand science or something like that. And really what it comes down to, and this proves true to me all the time, is it's just that I've had the opportunity to think through a question before somebody else has because I've asked it, you know, what happens if I put this product with this product? Do I have a problem? Maybe I ran into that on one of my projects. And that's all it is. It's just that you've had the opportunity to think through it. This stuff really isn't wildly difficult. It's just, you know, there's so many varied permutations and little intricacies to the things that we do in our day-to-day, you know, professional practice that it's hard to have all the answers because it's hard to have done all the things. So. Well, and I think anybody's gifted or something. It's just you've had the misfortune to make the mistake already. Sure. And, you know, there there are two things that come to mind with that, too, which is um, I had one contractor say to me, there's never enough time to do it right the first time, but there's always enough time to fix it afterwards. Right. So we've got to do it nice because we do it twice. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, we've got to get out of that mindset, right? Like, can we give ourselves a little bit of time? Can we slow down? The, I know. I mean, in this market, the answer is no. I mean, everybody I know is busy for the next two years. Like, no, do we really have time to slow this down? I don't know that we do. Um, and the other thing that came to mind is I, I love when Doug Horgan comes on BS and beer too, right? Because he spent years being the fix it guy, right? He was the guy that went around and looked at all the things that didn't go right and figured that out. And then is now able to share that with his company. And which is what I feel like a lot of the really great people that I respect in this industry are doing through, um, the one good thing about social media, which is sharing, right? Is, not being afraid to share something that didn't go as you expected it so that maybe the rest of us don't also have to make that mistake, right? Can we learn from the mistakes of each other's or can we learn from the successes of each other too? You know, sometimes it's just as great to share something that went really well, that was really easy, that's really thought through. And maybe it is because it's really nice because you did it twice. We just had on uh, one of the projects that's uh, going to be getting some coverage with fine home building here soon. Um, we were doing a, a, an ICCF, insulated composite concrete form system for a wall. And we had the photo and video crew there as we were pouring and we had some blowouts. Um, and they're like, well, we'll just shoot around them. I'm like, no, shoot the blowouts, like shoot the blowouts. This was a new system. And I, I want to be very open with that about what went wrong and how we addressed it in the moment and then how we can address it in the future. And that's, incredibly value. We all have to own up to that, you know, and everybody knows that social media is very curated and polished in a lot of cases. But if we value each other as members of the same industry and want to help each other, then yeah, we need to share our part of my language, our fuck ups um, so that we can all learn from them. 
<laughs> or and maybe it's not even that. Maybe we just need to start calling them something else, right? Then then screw like take the bad context out of that. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. something that came up that needed a new solution. It was just a new puzzle. It was an unexpected yeah, puzzle yeah. that you had. It's to not solve a problem. It's an field. it's an opportunity for an advancement. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's an opportunity for a different solution. We'll, we'll to- hire we'll hire a PR firm for our fuck ups. <laughs> just demonetized us completely sorry uh, oh my gosh that's awesome yeah let's do it that, that would be the best show right everybody comes to bs and beer for the beer <laughs> mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a popularity of having uh angel and seville on on bs and beer is like all the building failures all of the conspiracy theories like we always just let them talk about everything that's awful yeah yeah, works yeah. For they're a good so laugh. good at it yeah they're so good at it <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of which, right. So, so we talked about IBS. It was fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's going to be in Vegas next year. If you know, if you're an architect, if you're a builder, if you're a student go, even if you go to no products stations, go and hang out in the building zone all day, hang out in the tech zone and learn about the tech things. But even in the booths themselves, there's a lot of great content going on. I know Huber was doing stuff the whole time that they were there um, and had, they they built like a whole rain roof water display, right? So you can touch and ask questions. Um, the best part is their tech department is like four people. So, and they had some of them there. So you get to meet those people and you're like, yes. The person that's on the end of the phone when you I call I know who's going like, to be on the other I? end of the phone. <laughs> when mm-hmm. I call this. And so that's what what's good about a great company is, you know, being able to go there, meet the players and be able to create relationships. And that is, you know, twofold, so valuable. twofold at, at IBS is you get to meet these people who you respect on the internet. I mean, with COVID people weren't going anywhere, but we had the opportunity to connect online. And for me, it was absolutely amazing to then meet who these people are in in public like oh you're you're so and so you know i follow your channel or i do all this stuff but there's a lot of great resources for people um and you asked where i go to to do some of my resources one you can go down the rabbit hole at green building advisor anytime that you want um certainly i recommend that everybody start with building science corporation because Joe Stebrick and his company publishes a lot of free material for people because they feel so strongly about it. But as you get deeper into it, get to know them, right? You, you want to call them up. Um, if you don't follow Mike Girton, you're, I don't know what you're doing, right? I mean, just amazing to watch him on stage at IBS, just showing everybody in a very calm, he's maybe the most calm collected you know builder that you that you can meet just this is how we Tra- do travis travis uh, uh started referring to him and i think this is a, a very fitting title that uh mike is a a building monk <laughs> he very he much is. is he's just like he's like the he is a phenomenal person i, I consider it an honor to have gotten to know mike and work with him over the past handful of years but he is head down no bs Work is getting done. He is a machine. He is dedicated to getting good information out there and understanding what it is that he's sharing. And that's, uh, we, we need more people like that in the industry. You know, and, and like you said, uh, something that you find um, when you start going to these events, they're tremendously, they've been tremendously valuable for my education in the industry is those relationships that you get to create. And something that you'll find is, is that 
those of us that connect through these events is, is we may have uh, wildly different personal opinions about the way the world works, but we can all come together and we can break bread and we can share a beer and we can agree about the work that we do on our day to day. So you might not agree with somebody, but that all gets put aside and we share in the commonalities of what we do in our lives. So um, it, that's, that's great to see. I think that's something that, you know, people miss nowadays is just putting uh, the drama behind and just uh, paying attention to the things we're passionate about. Yeah. And I know that it can be, it can be really difficult for people who are starting out or are in smaller firms or independents You send, you know, to send all of their people to the international builder shell or to take the lead course or the passive house course, or to go to the passive pod put on by emo systems or to go to construction instruction in Colorado. Something in that vein though, is, is a lot of these organizations that are putting these events together, they will have scholarship programs. I took advantage of years ago, uh, scholarships to get passes to go to Nessie because I was a young business owner. I didn't have a lot of, you know, available capital. I was still trying to figure business out. And so I applied and Nessie said, yeah, here's, here's show passes. I think they even bought me lunch and stuff like that. So the, most of these venues, most of these events will have those opportunities. So if you are a young firm or a young practitioner that just wants to get involved, you know, there's opportunities like that, that will help to displace some of the costs. There's often manufacturers that will sponsor young professionals and pay their way to get to these events just as a way of giving back and to make their tax write-offs work at the end of the year. Right. Well, and I also want to highlight that there's starting to be more localized places, you know, the Fine Home Building Summit, the Midwest Building Science Symposium, you know, BS and JLC Live that have yeah. popped up, JLC Live. Um, you know, you're doing a bunch of teaching and training yourself. Uh, you know, even just watching some of the YouTube channels where people are talking about it, you know, pop on and watch Jake and Steve talk through one of their projects. There are resources out there that if you're just getting started or, you know, one of my favorite books is residential energy, right? If you're, if you're just getting started. That's a phenomenal. Krigger, that book is a a staple. Is a staple. You don't know anything about John Krigger, residential energy. That is a phenomenal book that, and uh, uh, don't start with water water and buildings. buildings. You'll give up immediately. (laughs) Yeah. You'll give up there. Yeah. Go to Krigger first, but they'll set the hook. But there are some great books. And I mean, if you want to read about carbon, there's some, you know, Bruce King's book or, you know, the book that Lloyd Alter just put out about living the 1.5 degree life. Yeah. So um, there are some great books out there. There are some great resources. There are some free resources. You just gave a whole bunch of opportunities for people. If you're young, new, starting out, small business, whatever to do that. USGBC's website, NREL, Oak Ridge National Laboratory, the Building America program websites, all of those things. There is, when you start digging through them, there's so much information out there. That's just, you know, all you have to do is read it. Yeah. Well, and I also think in some places, you know, the different energy uh, programs through the state can be good. I know in Vermont, there's a lot of access to HERS raiders in Vermont to kind of help you walk through your project. Um, When I was living in New York, NYSERDA actually offset the cost of us doing Passive House and lots of other things. So I mean, look into NYSERDA. There are places that are, are part of your state that could offset some of them. But even so, I would say, it all comes back to your network and the people that you meet. Um, 
as a energy consultant, I would have let people follow me around for the day and carry equipment just to learn. I mean, right. So, so when I was doing a lot more of that, you know, I'm teaching and training and walking the, the homeowner through it anyway. You want to follow me around. You want to carry some equipment. You want to learn how to set up a blower door, like absolutely all day long. Um, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity out there, um, for people to, to jump in. And I, I don't know if it matters where you start. You know, no, the, you just start with whatever you're curious with, you right. know, because that's that's what's most important. Whatever you have an interest in is going to be what you're going to dive into and you're going to absorb well. So just, yeah, go down those rabbit holes. Yeah, that's really all it's about. And a little a little plug, you know, here, the pretty good book pretty good house book is coming out later this year. It's meant to give people an introduction. It's meant to help homeowners do that, but also uh, Allison's book is coming out too. And that's going to take mechanical to the next level. And he just has another great resource. I mean, go to energy Vanguard and read any of the 900 plus articles that Allison (laughs) and his company have written over the years, but he has such yeah. an amazing way of taking complicated subjects and explaining them to people. So, so read any of those things. Um, and so the resources are out there. The, the events are out there. All you have to do is you have to find them and you have to tap into them and support them because uh, you know, things like JLC live and the international builder show and the Midwest building science symposium and the building science or, or the building science summer cam and, the fine home building summit, these things exist because people show up, you know, it's a two way street. These places can't afford to exist unless we go. So it's the same thing for the magazine, support the publications, support fine home building and JLC and pro remodeler and all of these, these great journalistic enterprises that are trying to put content out because if we don't support them, you know, give them our, our small pittance of dollars and they're not going to exist anymore. And that's going to be a, a loss to the industry because then it's going to be pay to play. And whoever is paying the most money is the one that's going to get paid attention to. So, and as we know thus far, that generally the people who have the most money aren't always aligned with the, the values of the things that we would like to, to do or see happen in our industry. So um, I really appreciate you coming on today. I think we could probably just sit back with a cup of coffee or a beer and talk all the whole time. And go for another hour and a half. Go for another hours. hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're busy. Everybody's got things to do. So I really appreciate you coming on and just, you know, rehashing basically one of one of the things that I like to talk about, which is teaching and training. I'm not, none of us are experts. We're all just people who are connected with other people. And so I'm always happy to share my resources with other people. I think that's why we've become such great friends over the years is you have a very similar mindset. I can call you up and say, Hey, I was just, I was just on the phone with one of your contractors this morning because he called me up with some questions and that's yeah. it. It's just, it's, it's like, share. I'm doing this put it, thing put it back out there. So <laughs> You know, it doesn't mean that we'll always have the opportunity to answer the phone or respond to to everything. But sometimes for me, it's just a simple, hey, I don't actually have that answer. Here's the three people who should yeah. have this answer for you. And so or I can't think, respond to that email. You mind if I call you while I'm driving? Like I will always do my best to exactly same thing. Respond, to, to, put it back out there as much as I can. Respond and be available. And that's why it's so important for people to get together, connect. Uh, we like Instagram, but I'm sure there's there are a lot of other platforms, you know, YouTube and gosh, I don't LinkedIn even, and LinkedIn, and, 
all kinds of platforms out there. So just connect with the people who, you know, you, you want to learn from, I mean, you can't go wrong following Christine Williams and, you know, building science fight club. I, I think she releases something all the time where I go, Oh yeah, that was a great way to explain that. Or I didn't know that, you know? Um, so it's, so it's awesome. So thanks Ben. I appreciate you coming on today. And, uh, was a pleasure. if you guys don't know who Ben is, uh, you live under a rock, right? He's certain to uh, be everywhere, but, um, you can catch him at a lot of great things and throughout the rest of this year. Ben so. Bogey, B-E-N-B-O-G-I-E on Instagram is the easiest place to find me. All right. I tried to get this out to you guys every week at uh, the end of the month on the last Friday in February, but as you can see, the last day of January and the last day of February have actually been the schedule that has happened. So thank you all for tuning in to check out what's going on in the podcast. Ben is a great educator. He can find him on JLC. You can find him at the International Builders Show. He has a lot of great things going on. And like he mentioned, you can see him on Instagram and check out all the great things that he shares there as well. So just a heads up that we have BS and Beer Live this week as well on Thursday, March 3rd. So tune in to talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of PV installation at BS and Beer. Otherwise, we'll see you on the podcast probably on the last day of March. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.